We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go. Episode 503 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, February 8th, 2023. And we now have a new all-time scoring king in the NBA. LeBron James, a.k.a. The King, a.k.a. Bron Bron, a.k.a. LaTravel. LeBron James? Yes, LeBron James, that guy, he now is the NBA's all-time leader in regular season points. He in a 133-130 Los Angeles Lakers a home loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder late night on Tuesday night. Scored 38 points, surpassing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the most regular season points in NBA history. You know, Kareem had held that record for nearly 39 years. He had held that record since April 5th, 1984. But the king is the new king. Look, no huge fan of Bron Bron, am I? There's a lot about that guy that I do not like. Uh, But today is not the day to harp on that. LeBron James really has had an incredible career. The excellence, the longevity, and the extent to which he has lived up to the hype. Like, has any athlete ever entered the pros with more hype than this guy did? And yet he has delivered on that hype. And for two decades now, This season is LeBron's 20th NBA season. This is his age 38 season, and yet he's still a very good player. Now, do I put him ahead of uh, Wizards great Michael Jordan as the all-time NBA GOAT? Uh, No, I do not. But just because you're not MJ doesn't mean that you're not among the top two or three players in NBA history, and LeBron James is, and you got to respect that. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Should the commanders pick up the fifth-year option in the rookie contract of edge defender Chase Young? Well, we on Tuesday learned the cost of that option, $17.452 million. We're going to talk about that and a few other commander's items next segment. And then after that, a special guest as the parade of special guests on the Al Galdi podcast continues. Commander's insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com. Michael is going to be joining us from Arizona, site of this Sunday evening Super Bowl 57. And we're going to cover a lot of ground, including 
the potential for the Washington, D.C. area to one day host a Super Bowl. Uh, Where we are in the sale of the Commanders, Michael's conversation on Monday night with Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator and Commanders offensive coordinator target Eric Bieniemy. A very good piece that Michael wrote about Chiefs fans still doing the tomahawk chop, also known as the arrowhead chop, while, of course, the Redskins are no longer the Redskins, uh, and more. Like I said, we are going to cover a lot of ground. Michael Phillips is coming up on the show. Also on the show, I'm talking college basketball. Maryland on Tuesday night was down 15-0. Yeah, the start for the Terrapins, not exactly ideal, but the Terps did rally to take a four-point lead in the second half, did end up losing a 63-58 loss at Michigan State, but a big win for Virginia, the number eight Cavaliers, a 63-50 victory over number 22 NC State at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia on Tuesday night. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I have received a good amount of feedback on the Wizards lately. Uh, our Wizards, they have lost three consecutive games since the season-best six-game winning streak. The team is 24-29 and 29 and is once again in the midst of a disappointing season. Uh, this is we have the NBA trade deadline this Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Email from Jerry Moore writes, Jerry, these recent losses by the Wizards are exactly why fans like me have such a hard time getting into the team. For too many years to remember, as soon as the team shows any sign of life and promise, the team implodes. Impossible to ever believe in the team. Ugh. (laughs) Thank you for the email, Jerry. Email from Michael King writes, Mike, everything that you said about the Wizards on Monday's show, episode 501, supports my position of just how terrible of an owner Ted Leonsis really is. Maybe once Dan Snyder is gone, Leonsis will begin to receive the disdain that he so richly deserves. And I know that you disagree, but he has mostly wasted Alex Ovechkin in terms of true team accomplishment. And of course, full credit for the Stanley Cup, but competent coaching and a competent front office would have resulted in so much more, I think, we will never know. I shudder to think that Leonsis may have the Nationals one day. Uh, Thank you for the email, Mike. I do think that with Ted Leonsis, you have to separate his ownership of the Capitals from his ownership of the Wizards. And let's just bottom line each ownership to what matters most, team accomplishment. So Ted became majority owner of the Caps in 1999. The Caps in Ted's 22 full seasons as majority owner, 1999-2000 through 2021-2022, have made the Stanley Cup playoffs 17 times, 17 out of 22 seasons, and of course won the Stanley Cup in 2018. Now, has the team having been ousted in a first or second round of the postseason in the other 16 playoff appearances under Ted's majority ownership been painful? Absolutely. Has Ted been perfect as a Caps owner? Absolutely not. But it's not like these Caps playoff teams have been teams that like eked into the playoffs. The Caps over these 17 playoff appearances have won the team's division 12 times. Uh, These have mostly been powerhouse Caps teams that so many of the teams went out in a first or second round of the postseason, I think speaks more to the random nature of the Stanley Cup playoffs and to some players just not playing as they should. Uh, then all of that speaks to ownership. Uh, The Wizards are a different story. Uh, Ted became majority owner of the Wizards in 2010. He has spent a lot of money on players, and he does deserve credit for that. Uh, Hasn't always spent money on the right players, but that's a different conversation. But Ted has been willing to pay players, but the results, of course, have not been good. 
And the harsh realities remain. The Bullets slash Wizards have not advanced past the second round of the NBA playoffs since 1979 and have not had at least 50 wins in a regular season since the 1978-79 season. That is pathetic, okay? The team has been mired in mediocrity for decades, and Ted's ownership has continued to perpetuate that. Email from Howard Gutman, the former United States ambassador to Belgium, a graduate of Harvard Law School. Uh, The ambassador writes regarding the greatest executive in Washington, D.C. sports history, former Redskins general manager Bobby Beathard, uh, who he last Wednesday afternoon learned had died at the age of 86. Writes the ambassador, greetings from Brussels, a packed work week here, but of course I listen to the podcast which posts every day by noon Belgium time. Uh, After listening to last Thursday's pod, episode 499, see I too now value that you number the pods and announce the numbers. I thought that you would be interested in a Bobby Beathard story. It occurred following the 1982 season. In that season, Mark Mosley was successful on 23 consecutive field goal attempts when the NFL record for most consecutive successful field goal attempts had been 20. Boy, have times changed. Mosley, for that season, had a contract clause that awarded him a $5,000 bonus for every NFL record that he set. When the record for most consecutive field goals was set at 23, he argued that he instead had actually set three NFL records, one record when he made field goal number 21, one record when he made field goal number 22, and one record when he made field goal number 23, so mostly demanded a $15,000 bonus. The owner of the team at that time was Edward Bennett Williams, who also was a founder of Williams & Conley, a powerhouse litigation law firm in Washington, D.C. I had joined the law firm that year, 1982, after clerking for Justices Stewart and O'Connor on the Supreme Court. Williams paid Mosley the $5,000 bonus for setting one record and went nuts when Mosley sued for the $10,000 extra, claiming three records. Williams, in classic Williams form, basically proclaimed millions for defense, but not a penny for tribute. After all, he had the world's top litigation law firm at his call for free. At the time, Larry Lucchino, a partner at the law firm before he went on to head the Orioles, Padres, and Red Sox, served as the general counsel for the team. And Lon Babby, another partner at the firm before he left decades later to become general manager of the Phoenix Suns, served as Larry's assistant general counsel. And then there was me, the young lawyer who had recently joined the law firm, and I handled the headaches. I referred to myself as the assistant to the assistant general counsel for trivial matters. (laughs) I was assigned the case for the skins against Mosley. I only have one speed, so I worked it up as if it was the IBM antitrust trial, and I arranged three people as my witnesses on our behalf. Number one, Bobby Beathard, who had negotiated the contract. Number two, George Blanda, the great Raiders kicker, whom I called as an expert witness. And number three, the head of the Elias Sports Bureau, who kept the official NFL stats. The day before Beathard was scheduled to have his deposition taken, we met at the firm so that I could prepare Beathard for his deposition. It is a downtown Washington, D.C. Fancy Dan law firm, and so the men were all in suits, ties, daddy shoes, etc., and the women were in work suits and heels, and in comes in this blondish, floppy hair guy wearing ripped jeans, a t-shirt, sneakers, and a baseball cap. 
I worked hard to prep Beathard, but let's just say that it wasn't easy. He did really care about the $10,000 of management's money. He probably liked Mosley more than Beathard liked Williams. Beathard had other things on his mind. And he was not really DC serious on his best day. But I implored Beathard to be serious the next day when he was deposed. And so I gave him clear instructions to wear a suit, tie, real shoes, etc. As soon as I saw Beathard the next day headed to the conference room for the deposition, I knew that it would be a long afternoon. He had ditched his t-shirt, but came to the deposition wearing a big floppy sweatshirt with the name Williams and Conley on the front that, to the best of my knowledge, he had made specifically for the occasion. I asked him why he did not wear a suit, and he noted that he was proud to be a member of Team Williams and Conley. He was having a ball. Ultimately, I played hardball and told Mosley's agent that I would not let my client, Williams, meet with them during the pendency of the litigation, and they wanted to negotiate Mosley's next contract. So with the case dragging on, they dropped the claim. As in football, it is not really how you win, but that you win. That counts. But no lawyer could change Bobby Beathard, and the world was a better place because of that. <laughs> Thank you for that email, Ambassador Gutman. Rest in peace, Bobby Beathard. What a great story. Well, another person with whom Howard Gutman was very familiar was a founding partner of the law firm Holson and Nace, the late great Barry Nace. Uh, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. I'm not sure how Paulson and Nace feels about clients giving depositions wearing t-shirts and ripped jeans, but I'm sure that we can figure something out. But yeah, Paulson and Nace, it is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace fights for victims of all kinds of situations, including victims of errors made during diagnosis, during surgery, or with medication, victims of injuries caused by dangerous medications or medical devices, as well as defective auto parts, victims of accidents involving cars, trucks, bikes, or motorcycles, victims of deceptive trade practices and false advertising, heck, victims of shady lawyers. If your attorney acts in bad faith, is unethical in his or her counsel, or is negligent in his or her work, uh, you could have a claim for legal malpractice. Paulson and Nace has represented corporate clients throughout the region. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. A few commander's items before we get to our guest, commander's insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com. The Tennessee Titans on Tuesday afternoon announced a number of changes to the team's coaching staff, including, yes, the hiring of commander's defensive backs coach Chris Harris as a Titans defensive pass game coordinator and cornerbacks coach. So at last, 
the lengthy and confusing Chris Harris situation is over. I talked about that on Tuesday's show, episode 502. We knew that Chris Harris was leaving, but to where was the question? What essentially happened was that he accepted this job with the Titans, but then was a candidate for defensive coordinator jobs with the San Francisco 49ers and Houston Texans. Uh, Also, Chris had come up for a job on the Chicago Bears defensive coaching staff. Uh, The Titans essentially were Chris Harris's safe school, uh, and he ends up going to the safe school. Uh, The widespread expectation is that the commanders will be replacing Chris Harris internally. Uh, The team's assistant defensive backs coach is Richard Rogers. Uh, The team's assistant defensive backs coach and nickel coach is Brent Wieselmeyer. Another hiring that the Titans announced on Tuesday afternoon was that of Atlanta Falcons quarterbacks coach Charles London as the Titans pass game coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Uh, Charles London is one of the guys who the commanders interviewed for their offensive coordinator vacancy. They interviewed him on January 19th, uh, so you can cross his name off the list. Uh, The commanders have interviewed six people for the team's offensive coordinator vacancy, former Cleveland Browns and former New York Giants head coach Pat Shermer, commanders quarterbacks coach Ken Zampezi, Charles London, uh, Miami Dolphins associate head coach and running backs coach Eric Studisville, Los Angeles Rams assistant head coach and tight ends coach Thomas Brown, and San Francisco 49ers assistant head coach and running backs coach Anthony Lynn. And it sure seems as if the commanders are waiting on interviewing Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, And then there is this, the fifth-year option salaries for first-round picks in the 2020 NFL draft have been distributed to NFL teams. So the salaries were tweeted out by NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB on Tuesday evening. The figures vary depending on how well the player has done over his first three seasons, but here's the bottom line for the commanders. The fifth-year option for edge defender Chase Young is 17 Point four five two million dollars. So the deadline to pick up fifth-year options for 2020 first-round picks is the week after the 2023 NFL Draft. Uh, do I expect the Commanders to pick up Chase Young's fifth-year option? I do. Do I think that they should? Yes, but I do think that it's a conversation, and I don't think that you're crazy if you say no. If Chase Young next season is the healthy and productive player who we want him to be, given where he was drafted, right? The number two pick in the 2020 draft. Then $17.452 million for him for the 2024 season is palatable and maybe even a bargain. I mean, uh, premier edge defenders now are making well over $20 million per season. But the question, of course, is will Chase Young next season be a healthy and productive player. It was encouraging to see him play pretty well over his three games this season, but of course it was highly discouraging that he only played in three games this season. He didn't make his season debut until that loss at the San Francisco 49ers on Christmas Eve. Uh, As we discussed, his right knee clearly got injured a lot worse than most people knew when he got hurt in that win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field all the way back on November 14th, 2021. It's tough, man. Chase Young has been in the NFL for three seasons. He has had one good season. That's it. 
And that season was his 2020 rookie season. He in the 2021 season was a big disappointment and then he got hurt. And his 2022 season ended up being mostly a lost season. Uh, But remember, Chase in that loss at the Niners was the highest graded commanders player per pro football focus. He registered an overall grade of 87.4. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. And then the following game, the hideous loss to the Cleveland Browns at FedEx Field in Week 17. Uh, Chase for that game was the commander's second highest graded player for PFF. Overall grade of 73.8. But of course, the sample size for Chase Young in the 2022 season, rather small. Uh, There are a lot of questions about his health and his durability and just how good of an NFL player he is. Uh, The 2023 season, a huge season for Chase Young, and the price for a 2024 season for him with the Commanders under the terms of the fifth-year option in his rookie contract now is set. It is Super Bowl week, the Philadelphia Eagles versus the Kansas City Chiefs at State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona in Super Bowl 57 this Sunday evening at 6.30. We're going to discuss a variety of commanders topics right now with a man who does a great job of covering the commanders, but who also is in Arizona for Super Bowl week. Commanders insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com, which is the site for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. You can follow Michael on Twitter at MichaelPRTD. Hey, Michael, how are you? Hey, great to be here. I, as Super Bowl Phoenix is always a good Super Bowl. It's, it's warm. There's there's plenty to do. Uh, this is a good location. As you are in Arizona for yet another Super Bowl there, can you envision Super Bowl week? All of the pomp and circumstance, all of the hype, all of the people, uh, one day happening at a new Commander's Stadium in the Washington, D.C. area. Oh yeah, if you were if you were to say will it happen, you know, in in the next twenty years, I would say yes. I, w- I would put my money on the yes there. I, the NFL's policy has been use public money to build a stadium. You get a Super Bowl. Uh, Buffalo is going to be the one exception to that, but I think we all understand why there's not a Super Bowl Buffalo. Um, but you know, Detroit got one. New York got one. Uh, Nashville's about to get one when they build a stadium. I, I think once the new stadium goes up. Super Bowl DC is a very real thing that's going to happen. You're very good at discussing the Commander Stadium saga. When you look at State Farm Stadium, especially considering that it is in the process of hosting a third Super Bowl, what stands out to you in terms of things that can be applied to the Commander Stadium search? Yeah, it's fascinating because this is not an old stadium. This is certainly uh, you know one of the one of the new wave stadiums. Um, obviously, it's been lapped by. Jerry World, Los Angeles, the, the, the Viking ship in Minnesota, in uh, Atlanta would be, I guess, the four that are kind of head and shoulders above the rest right now. But I, I think the lesson here is you don't need to be that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there will be a big push to be that. Especially, I mean, you think if it's Bezos, I can't imagine what kind of futuristic thing he's going to go for. Um, but you don't need to be that. You can have a really nice modern stadium, great atmosphere, which is what they have here. They, they roll the natural grass in, which is obviously a nice touch for the players. Uh, and everybody enjoys being here. But there's, you know, there's no like billion dollar wow here. It's, it's just a nice football stadium. And I, I think that's that's perfectly fine. Now, the other thing I would say is this stadium's half an hour outside the city. And uh, boy, hey, we sure seem to be trending there in stadium construction. And I know the Bears are looking to move outside Chicago as well. 
I just could not be more firmly against that trend. You know, I, to me, whatever it takes to get to RFK is, is worth it because a stadium should be in the middle of the city it represents. That, that's something I've always felt strongly on. Well, you said the magic word, and that word may be the key to the Commander's Next Stadium being on the RFK Stadium site in Washington, D.C. The word is Bezos, uh, as in Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, as in the man who, as we speak, performs is the third richest man in the world, net worth of $122.9 billion. Not bad. Uh, the belief has been that the NFL would like to finalize the sale of the Commanders at the annual league meeting, which will take place March 26th through the 29th uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, by the way. Uh, do you feel like one Super Bowl week is over and the uh, NFL's unofficial ban on non-Super Bowl news is over, uh, that the news on the sale of the Commanders will start to ramp up? I, I wouldn't be surprised if the news picks up this week before the Super Bowl is complete. Yeah, they, they're still moving. It, it's all very hush-hush behind the scenes. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I'm just reading tea leaves here. I get the sense that the final number maybe won't be disappointing, but maybe won't be the the earth-shattering seven and a half or eight that, that, you know, maybe people were thinking out of the gate. I think the prospective buyers have really come to understand, and, you know, we're in the disclosure part where they get to see the books and see what's going on. I, I think everybody now really fully understands how much money they're going to have to put into this after they buy it. And like, we feel like we're talking about these like Scrooge McDuck, like comically rich people, like, but six billion is a lot of money. A billion and a half for a stadium's a lot of money. A new practice facility is a lot of money. Um, there, there's so much infrastructure that needs to be laid here that's been abandoned for so long. Um, I think people understand now that if you buy this team for six and a half billion dollars, you're essentially putting eight on the table after you do everything you're going to need to do. Very good point. Uh, the prospective buyers of the Commanders. Uh, we, of course, hear about Jeff Bezos. We hear about media mogul Byron Allen. Uh, we hear about the billionaire co-founders of Clear Lake Capital. And those guys are the guys who tried to buy out the minority shares of the team's now former minority owners, Dwight Shaw, Robert Rothman, and Fred Smith. So there is some history there. Uh, there, of course, may be prospective buyers who we have not heard about. Uh, does Michael Phillips have a handicapping of the field of prospective buyers of the commanders? Or is there just too much that we don't know? If you're ready for, for my cop-out answer here, I think a lot of people will use this opportunity to generate headlines for themselves and what they do. And, and you know, we've heard, we've seen press releases uh, and, and names floated. I'm always, you know, I'm always looking for the quietest guy in the room. Like, I, I think that's often the most serious person in the room is, is the person who's not making a big show of this, but is just quietly putting a team together. Uh, I, I do think there's there's a lot of smoke around Jay-Z being involved, and I don't think that has to mean with Jeff Bezos either. Um, I, I think that that's a potentially very good thing for the NFL uh, to have him involved in an ownership role. Uh, a name I keep coming back to is Byron Allen, the television executive. He's owned some regional sports networks. Um, I think he will be in it to the finish as well. Um, it's such a hard race to handicap because the Bezos factor is so big both ways. One, like if he wants it, it just feels inevitable that it's his. But then also, too, like if Dan's picking, it feels inevitable that it won't be him. Um, and I just it's fascinating. Everything about this team's fascinating. You know that. But this is fascinating. 
Yes, it is. Uh, so something that I made mention of on the podcast last week was something that's a little thing that was potentially a big thing. The commanders last Wednesday evening put out a statement about former Redskins general manager Bobby Beathard off his passing. Very interestingly, the statement was not attributed to commanders co-owners and co-CEOs Dan and Tanya Snyder. Usually a statement such as that one has been attributed to Dan and Tanya. This statement was not attributed to anyone. Uh, was that a something or was that a nothing? It's a something. Um, I I think our most significant somethings have been um, that the Snyders were not involved in the sunny festivities, essentially. Um, you know, Tanya was there representing the Snyders, um, but my understanding is that Dan was not. Um, and and then the statement, I, I, I know nobody wants to jinx it. I know nobody wants to cross the finish line <laughs> prematurely, but Al, think this is happening. I think so too. I think so too. <laughs> and it feels like just about everything that has come out since November 2nd, when the news broke that Dan and Tanya Snyder were exploring a sale of the team, has pointed in the direction of them selling majority ownership of the team. We're talking with Commander's Insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com. We on Monday night had what is called Super Bowl opening night. Uh, This is what Super Bowl media day used to be. You spoke with Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, who appears to be the commander's top target for their offensive coordinator job. He said that he has interviewed for the Indianapolis Colts head coaching job, but has not taken any interviews for any other offensive coordinator jobs. How realistic is Bieniemy leaving the Chiefs for the commanders? Well, I absolutely think it's why we haven't seen an announcement yet. And I think he's worth waiting for. And I say that knowing I don't know what he's going to be. Nobody knows what he's going to be, you know, because that's it's such a black box there in Kansas City that you can't see inside of how involved is he day to day with Patrick Mahomes? How involved is he day to day with the play calling? All we have is what people say, but I don't trust what people say. Uh, you know that that that's our job as journalists, and, and and so will he dominate? Will will he be able to jump right in and be a proficient play caller? I don't think anybody knows that, but he's absolutely worth waiting for because he, he he's a home run hire at a time when you know in, injecting some juice into this thing w- would be nice. Uh, yeah, it was funny. So I, I asked him. He, he, he turns very serious. He turns to me. He says, "I just want to make one thing very clear. I have not interviewed for any offensive coordinator positions. I am focused on getting a head coaching job. I'm focused on Indianapolis." And he said, I'm focused on on the Chiefs and being where my feet are this week, uh, which, of course, to any Ron Rivera watcher uh, was a funny turn of phrase because that is uh, that is a signature Riveraism. Yes. Now, Eric Bieniemy didn't also say that the commander's offensive coordinator vacancy is interesting, but not important, did he? <laughs> then you, you really want to know. That. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, Well, another reason that I wanted to have you on was a terrific piece that you wrote. The piece had to do with the Chiefs fans continuing to do the tomahawk chop, uh, what is called the arrowhead chop. Uh, This is done at Chiefs games at Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, This, of course, in an NFL in which the Redskins had to retire that name. Uh, We every season see Chiefs fans doing the Arrowhead chop being shown on television, and certainly very few people in the media say anything. Uh, This off the skins for years getting harpooned by the media for the name issue. I get that Redskins is a dictionary-defined slur and Chiefs is not, but boy, I mean, you certainly could argue that the Arrowhead chop is is much more offensive 
than the name Redskins is. You did a very good job in your piece of laying out the issue. What were your biggest takeaways in putting together that piece? Yeah, so I, I'd hit it from two fronts. First, the, the team front, and I just I really emphasize that they did not change the name of the Washington Redskins because Native American advocacy groups forced them to. I think it has far, far more to do with the fight between Dan Snyder and his minority owners, uh, Smith, Shar, and Rothman, uh, Fred Smith owning FedEx, FedEx being the first company to apply public pressure, um, you know, it, their fight over money during COVID and their fight over how Dan was running the team. Um, that was what pushed this over the edge. And, and to that extent, you know, the, the, we don't know what the motives were, but we, we can connect some dots and say it's possible. The motives were not entirely pure there and altruistic and, and charitable towards Native American representation. It could have been much more about business and revenge and taking something from the owner that, that he very clearly loved uh, and was an integral part of, of his identity and owning the team. And so, you know, that that's an important thing to put on the table before we get to number two, which is Native American groups do want the Chiefs to stop doing it. They do want the Chiefs to change their name. They are out here in Phoenix protesting. Um, and, you know, to the same extent that Roger Goodell had Dan's back on the name, uh, Roger Goodell has has the, the Hunt family's back on, on the name as well. And, um, you know, I, I think that had it not been for that minority ownership tussle, I think the team would still have its name because I, I don't say this callously, Al, but I, I just say this as a matter of fact. I, I don't think the Native American lobbying group is, is powerful enough to impact change within the NFL. I, I think they needed that external assist to get it done. I agree. I think that so much of the name change was about the Redskins' ownership turmoil. Now, the notion of new ownership of the Commanders uh, changing the name from Commanders uh, has come up a lot. Do you think that there is any possibility, however remote, of new ownership changing the name back to Redskins? And I ask that because that is something that a lot of of fans would love. I mean, we are nearly three years removed from the retirement of the name Redskins, and it doesn't feel like the affection for that name has lessened in any way. In fact, I think in a lot of ways, the affection for that name has grown. And as we just discussed, uh, if not for the ownership turmoil, the name of the team might still be Redskins. Um, obviously, this would be a controversial thing to do, <laughs> to go back to the name Redskins. Is there any chance, in your opinion? I do not think they will go back to Redskins. I think that's off the table. I, I understand the fans who are exhausted and don't want another name change. I personally would like to keep the door cracked open to it. I, I just I, I think that the team and its identity are so important to the city, and, and it's so, so important now to, to hook a next generation of, of, of fans because we're just we're losing such big chunks of people. We, we, got, we got people having kids now in D.C., who have never seen a good football team and who have soured on this team. And they're going to raise kids who aren't fans too. And, and you're at risk of losing generations. And I think the name's a part of it. And I think the identity and the logo and, and the mascot and all that it, it is a part of it. And I, I would love to see the door remain open to potentially a, a third name and you just just something a, something a little spicier, right? you know, some, something that has the potential to engage and connect and, and bring people into the fold and in a way they're not coming into the fold right now. Quarterback, when the commander's initial 53-man roster for the 2023 season is put together, who will be the quarterbacks on that roster? Well, we, we know Sam Howell's going to be there. 
And uh, that that is the last name I can give you with certainty. I, I get the sense Taylor Heineke isn't coming back. Um, I, I get the sense that 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 you know he's he's going to end up elsewhere, and, and Ron will want to reboot. Um, I don't I don't know that they'll be able to land any of the the big name veterans, and and I'm okay with that and, and feel good about that. Um, but but that it's a fascinating situation here. I think you'd probably look at drafting somebody. You know, late rounds, not not first round draft pick, um, and, and then signing you know your veteran du jour um, who who can come in and, and hold things down if necessary. But goodness, I I can't even venture a guess on who that'll be. It's I mean I don't think Ron knows either right now. I'm going to talk to him uh, uh, tomorrow, I believe uh, Wednesday here at the Super Bowl. But uh, uh, you know I I don't think he knows who his quarterbacks are going to be beyond Sam Howell, and I, I I think that's probably one of the the holdups on this offensive coordinator gig as well. So you do not see the commanders potentially taking a quarterback in the first round of the 2023 NFL draft. I just don't think Ron can afford to do that. I, I think, you know, we're working under the assumption there will be new ownership. And I think because of that, we're working under the assumption it will be a playoffs or get fired campaign. And I, I just don't think Ron can spend his time with a rookie quarterback. Uh, I think he's got too much on his plate preserving his job this year. Yeah, understood. Coming to us from the desert, Commander's Insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com, which is the site for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Michael, thanks a lot, and enjoy the rest of Super Bowl week. Absolutely. Take care. All right. Hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Michael Phillips. Uh, If you have like 20 seconds, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long. can be just a sentence or two. The ratings and the reviews help out a lot. So thank you for doing them. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Well, let's talk college basketball. Maryland on Tuesday night got off to about as bad of a start as you'll see a team get off to. Uh, Ended up making the game a game, uh, but did end up losing. Uh, Maryland fell to 16-8 overall and 7-6 in the Big Ten 
a 63-58 loss at Michigan State on Tuesday night. Uh, the loss ended the Terrapins' four-game winning streak. Uh, the Terps allowed Michigan State to begin the game on a 15-0 run. Yeah, the Terps were down 15-0. Uh, they overcame that deficit to where the Terps had a four-point lead in the second half at 48-44, but the Terps then lost the rest of the game, 19-10. That Terp start, though, was brutal. Here was Terp's head coach, Kevin Willard, during his post-game press conference late night on Tuesday night. The start's my fault. You know, we've been on the road since whatever today. I don't even know what today is, but this is our fifth day on the road, and we practiced terrible yesterday. We didn't practice very good. We traveled, and, you know, we did stuff that we usually don't do. Um, And I thought our practice yesterday was a result of how we started. Good for Kevin Willard for taking the blame like that. Uh, This was a game in which Michigan State was bad on twos and good on threes, and Maryland was good on twos and bad on threes. The Terps held Michigan State to just 13 of 30 on twos, but allowed the Spartans to go 9 of 20 on threes. The Terps went 17 of 29 on twos, outscored Michigan State in the paint 30-14, but the Terps also went a putrid 3 of 22 on threes. Maryland's three-point shooting has been such a problem this season. Again, was a problem in this game at Michigan State. The Terps this season now are shooting 30.2% on threes. That is woeful. Uh, a lot of mixed individual performances for Maryland. Uh, Jameer Young, 37 minutes as a starter. He went just one of five on threes and committed four turnovers. He did, though, go five of eight on twos and four of five on free throws. He finished with 17 points, six assists, three rebounds, and two steals. Uh, Hakeem Hart, 39 minutes as a starter, just one of six on threes. Uh, He went two of three on twos, five of five on free throws, finished with 12 points, six rebounds, four assists versus no turnovers and two blocks. Uh, Julian Reese, who had been showing improvement. He did have another game in which he got into foul trouble and committed turnovers. Uh, Those two things have been bugaboos for the man known as Juju. Uh, Juju, in 29 minutes as a starter, four fouls. He had no assists versus three turnovers. He went five and nine from the field, all twos, one and two on free throws. He finished with 11 points and five rebounds, including two offensive boards. And Don Carey, uh, he played for just 11 minutes as a starter, and he went scoreless. He went 0 of 4 on threes. Don Carey this season is shooting at 29.8% on threes. And we interestingly in the game saw a whole lot more of reserve Ian Martinez than we did of Don Carey. Martinez ended up playing for 30 minutes off the bench. Credit Maryland for overcoming such a bad start, but the bad start should have never happened in that three-point shooting remains a major problem. Still, though, the Terps are 7-6 and six in the Big Ten. They are in a pretty good spot, and you know, the Terps are the number 25 team in the country per KenPalm.com as of games through Tuesday. Next up for Maryland, home to Penn State Saturday at noon. Meantime, big win for Wahoo on Tuesday night. Number eight, Virginia improved to 18 and four overall and 10 and three in the ACC. A 63 50 win over number 22, NC State, at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia. The Cavaliers won for the eighth time in nine games, bounced back nicely from the team's previous game, the 74 68 loss at Virginia Tech this past Saturday afternoon. Uh, The Cavs' defense on Tuesday night was outstanding. Cavs held NC State to just 50 points, 
just 8 of 27 on threes, just 11 of 30 on twos, and just seven free throw attempts. And the Wolfpack went just four or seven on free throws. Uh, the Cavs held NC State's leading scorer, Terquavion Smith, to just three of 11 on threes. This was the defense that we've come to know from the Cavs under head coach Tony Bennett. Here he was during his postgame press conference late night on Tuesday night on the Cavs playing like this defensively off that loss at Virginia Tech. Yeah, prepare well, do what we do, um, double down on, you know, being tough and sound and, and uh, two feet in commitment to defense because I don't think we've been that way. And so um, we'll have decisions to make moving forward. But uh, if we want to be as good as we can, uh, everyone has to be committed. And it's got to take, it won't be perfect, but it has to be a, a little tougher, sounder mindset. And I was uh, pleased that the guys established that and they'll need to continue to establish it at our next practice and um, moving forward. Yeah, now the Wahoos offense on Tuesday night was rather mixed. Uh, the Hoos went just to two of eight on threes and just 19 of 39 on twos, but the Hoos generated 24 free throw attempts when 19 to 24 on free throws, and the Hoos took care of the basketball. Just five turnovers to NC State's 12, and thus 17 points off turnovers to NC State's four. And look, when you play defense as Virginia played defense on Tuesday night, you can be so-so offensively and end up winning comfortably. Uh, Jaden Gardner, another good game for him. He was good for a fourth consecutive game of having been slumping. Uh, Gardner on Tuesday night, 32 minutes, 13 seconds as a starter, 6-12 from the field, all twos, 6-6 six six on free throws. He finished with 18 points and five rebounds, including two offensive boards. Reese Beekman, 33 minutes, 4 seconds as a starter, 6-11 of 11 from the field, all twos, 3-5 on free throws. He finished with 15 points, 4 assists versus 1 turnover, 3 steals and 3 rebounds. And how about the big man, 6-11, Caden Shedrick. So Caden Shedrick in that loss at Virginia Tech did not play at all, but he on Tuesday night played a lot and he played well, 26 minutes, 30 seconds off the bench, Three of five from the field, all twos, four of six on free throws. He finished with 10 points, six rebounds, and a game best plus minus rating of plus 16 as his defense was key. Here was Tony Bennett during his postgame press conference late night on Tuesday night on Caden Shedrick. Uh, I think it's a great lesson. It's why you just you keep working and you stay ready. And um, Caden had a, you know, he practiced well the last couple practices and, and again the practices matter and he came ready and, and you know he kept himself ready his length was there he fought uh, we thought if we were going to trap Caden's length would be good uh, Poppy was still in play but I just I liked how active our guys were and they knew they would have to win this with a defensive uh, a defensive sound tough effort and so again I thought Caden you know did some nice stuff and, and that was the lift we needed and protected the rim at times so just told those guys, just keep stepping in the right direction and uh, don't back down. That's their way because um, we've got to get, you know, that's how you got to win games as it gets to this point. You better make it, as I've said, be hard to score against and not have too many breakdowns. And you can see they can get going with their shots. But um, I thought everybody gave us a good lift. Isaac McNeely certainly did, and the guys played well. But I was so happy for Caden, um, you know, to, to respond like that and uh, help us out. And that made our defense different. Yes, it did. Next up for Virginia, home to Duke, Saturday afternoon at 4.
And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 504, will feature plenty on the Commanders. Also, we'll talk Wizards, the Wizard home to the Charlotte Hornets, Wednesday night at 7. And I'll talk college basketball. Georgetown is at number 20, Providence, Wednesday night at 8. Virginia Tech is home to Boston College, Wednesday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.